Please turn with me to the book of James, chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 9 through 11. James chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for allowing us to meet together. We thank you that we get to worship you together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us as we open up your word this evening, that you would lead us and that you would guide us, that you would help us to learn the things that you want us to learn from this text, that we would all be here, that we would all leave here changed as a result of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's been a while since we were here in James, but we left off dealing with the theme of suffering, specifically suffering, wrongdoing, or injustice. I once again remind you of the necessity of having a theology of suffering wrong. When others do us wrong, we don't want to be caught off guard and and not know how to respond biblically. We, We live in a world that's filled with injustice, so it's not a matter of if someone will do us wrong, but but when. And if we must suffer wrongdoing and injustice, we we need to do so in a way that pleases God and that points others to Christ. As James is teaching his readers how to suffer wrongdoing, as we noted before, he most likely has in mind the scenario from verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5. Now remember in verses 1 through 6, James condemns wicked rich men for abusing their, their power by stealing from their laborers. The wicked rich men hired people to work their fields, but then they refused to pay the men they hired. They unjustly held back their wages. And they possibly even used their power in in the law courts to, to have these poor men prosecuted, possibly even to death, depending on how you interpret James' words. And so that is quite a horrendous situation to be in. We're American. We don't tolerate that. We don't know anything about that. Working for a person. And then the person says, yeah, I'm not going to pay you for that. You're not getting paid. And then you, you, you try to, to take them to court, and, and, and they can buy the court system. They can buy the justice system. So, so then, not only have they done you wrong, but, but they've used their power and their wealth and their influence to, to condemn you in court and possibly even get you put to death for something you did not even do. We look at this and we say, this is the height of injustice. 
Well, this is what was actually happening to some of the believers to whom James is writing. And James is concerned that these believers respond to suffering such injustice in a righteous way. James is known as James the Just. He's concerned about righteousness. He says, yes, you, you, you are suffering some, some very, very great injustice, but, but I want you to do so in a righteous manner. James does not say, they did you wrong. You need to retaliate in whatever way you can. He does not say, you know what, if somebody did that to me, I don't know what I would do to them. James says there's a, a right way to respond to such suffering. And James starts this section by saying, be patient. And I pointed out last time that, that patience seems to be the main theme of this section. and we, we need to respond to suffering with patience. Why? What's so important about patience? Well, as I noted last time, the, the opposite of patience is what? It's rashness. Impulsiveness. And when our patient runs out, when our patience runs out, what happens? We don't make good decisions. We don't do good things. When we act off of impulses, especially in the face of injustice, we don't act righteously. So James is telling his readers how to respond to suffering patiently in order to please the Lord in our suffering. And so there are six things we need to do in order to respond patiently to suffering. And the first two things we covered in previous sermons. But the first two things were, number one, we need to patiently anticipate judgment, the return of our Lord. And secondly, that we must stand strong. We must stand firm. But there are four more things that we must do that we will cover this evening. So thirdly, we must be humble. We see this in verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do not grumble against one another. And the grumble could be translated as complain. Do not complain against one another. But, it, but it's kind of like a, a groaning, an, an internal thing. MacArthur notes that this word describes an, an attitude that is internal and unexpressed. It is a bitter, resentful spirit that manifests itself in one's relationship with others. So why is James dealing with grumbling and complaining against one another in this context? What does this have to do with, with suffering? Suffering injustice or persecution or any other wrongdoing, is a stressful thing. D Douglas Moo notes that, that grumbling against those who are close to us is particularly likely to occur when we are under pressure or facing difficult circumstances. We vent the pressure from a, a stressful work environment or from ill health on our close friends and families. Ladies, you can probably testify. You know when your husband had a bad day at work, don't you? He comes home and perhaps he's not as nice as he, as he should be. You can tell that there's something wrong. What is he doing? He, he's taking that out on you. 
And, and we know that we do this to one another when we, we have a bad attitude because something happened to us. And, and what do we begin to do? We, we, we take those stresses, those internal things, and, and it, we, it makes us bitter towards those who are close to us. Douglas Moo goes on, so it would be quite natural if James' readers, under the pressure of poverty and persecution, would turn their frustrations on one another. So when the pressures of persecution or injustice in this particular situation is squeezing them, they begin to take it out on their brothers and sisters in Christ. And a specific temptation is that they complain against those who are not suffering the way they are. You can think of this. Why am I suffering and this person is not? I think this is a peculiar temptation to those who are suffering wrong or injustice or anything. You look at others, even your brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and you can begin to have this internal bitterness because you are suffering in a way they are not. I think that's the essence of what James is getting at here. And this calls for humility. The proud person says, I don't deserve to suffer in this way. If anyone deserves to suffer, it's, it's this person or, or that person. I pray more than they do. I read my Bible more than they, they do. I disciple my kids better than they do. Why am I the one suffering, Lord? I do everything right. These people don't even come to church and they have an easy life and I'm suffering. Something is wrong here. And so what do you begin to do? You begin to be bitter internally at these people. Why? Simply because you are suffering in a way they are not. They've done nothing wrong to you other than not suffer the way you are. But there's something about human nature that causes us to do that. This is why God deals with things such as jealousy and covetousness. Because we have this tendency to look at other people's situations and say, God, why are they better off than me? And we become bitter at them. And so James says, if you're going to suffer patiently, you, you cannot become bitter with your brothers and sisters in Christ simply because they are not suffering the way you are. That type of pride will cause you to complain or grumble against others in the midst of your suffering. And what you really need is humility. Because humility will make you say, no, no, no matter how much I suffer, I am treated better than I deserve. We, we learned that this morning, didn't we? we? We are all treated much better than we deserve to be treated. You cannot suffer patiently if you lack humility. You need great humility to endure suffering righteously. James also gives a warning with this verse which is motivation for us not to complain against one another. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James is warning his readers, listen, if you have this type of critical, bitter attitude against the brethren and so complain against them, you are in danger of God's judgment. You are, you are acting like an unbeliever in this. You want God to treat you that way. I think the idea here is similar to what Christ said in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you want your brothers and sisters being bitter at you when they suffer? The way you do at them when you suffer. So he warns them not to grumble so that they would not be judged. And then he adds, behold, the judge is standing at the door. So here again, he is talking about the return of Christ. And previously, he said, we, we can endure suffering patiently by remembering that, that Christ is coming to end all, in suffer, all suffering and will punish the wicked, therefore satisfying all justice. But now he uses the, the, the return of Christ as a warning for believers. Because Christ is returning to judge the living and the dead, you need to be careful about having this sort of attitude against one another when you suffer. You will stand before the Lord and give an account for every word, deed, and thought. And even if Christ doesn't return soon, you have to die soon and give an account. You have to stand before the judge of all the world. This reality should greatly humble us. We will soon stand before the Lord in judgment, giving an account for everything we've done, said, and thought. And we are commanded to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And do we want to go and stand before the Lord having done what? Grumbled. Complained against them. Dear friends, yes, we stand before the Lord with the righteousness of Christ. But the believer does not use that as an excuse to sin. That is not a a license to sin. That is not a license to, to be bitter and to complain against our brothers and sisters. And so we must be humble to patiently endure suffering. And fourthly, we need to follow the example of faithful saints. James goes on, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. James is telling us we have examples of of God's people faithfully enduring suffering with patience. So what do we need to learn from from the prophets? James says, look at the prophets. The, The prophets are an example in this. So what do we need to learn from them? Well, first of all, they suffered greatly. Many of the, the, the modern people who call themselves prophets, I don't think they want the lifestyle of the Old Testament prophets. They have huge houses and cars and, and popularity, and this was not what happened with the prophets who spoke the word of the Lord. I like MacArthur's um, illustration here, our, our example of, of the prophets' suffering. This is how he describes the prophets. Elijah faced hostility from the evil king Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel. Jeremiah endured opposition throughout his ministry, bringing him such sorrow that he became known as the weeping prophet. Have you ever known any prophets today who are sorrowful? No, everything is, is happy and joyful because there are no real prophets today. But, but, but we have many people who claim to be prophets, don't we? There's no sorrow over sin. He goes on. Ezekiel endured the death of his wife 
During the course of his ministry, Daniel was torn from his homeland as a young boy and later thrown into a den of lions because of his faithfulness to God. Hosea endured a heartbreaking marriage. Amos faced lies and scorn, and John the Baptist was imprisoned and beheaded for his testimony to God's truth. And Hebrews 11 commends a host of prophets who, although not as well known, were no less faithful. And so we can go to to Hebrews 11, and and this is what we are told in verses 35-37. through Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life, and others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Anyone wants to sign up to be a prophet? This is the life they lived. Being a prophet was neither an easy life nor a safe life. Those men suffered greatly, but they endured their suffering faithfully, and therefore they are an example to us. Moose says what is needed is a willingness to bear up under the suffering, maintaining spiritual integrity, and waiting patiently for the Lord Himself to intervene to transform the situation. That is the example given to us by the prophets. They suffered greatly with patience. They endured. But I think James uses the prophets as an example for another reason as well. It's not that they simply endured suffering patiently. But notice what James says. Take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. So, so why mention the fact that they spoke in the name of the Lord? Listen to what Moose says again. It may also be that James cites the prophets because they were people who not only suffered injustice, but spoke out against it as well. Christians need to learn to suffer patiently as they wait for the Lord's vindication. But this is not to say that they cannot speak out against evil. So this is another example the prophets gave us. Men who spoke the word of the Lord even when it was not popular. It was never popular. Even when it condemned those to whom they were speaking. John the Baptist is a great example to us. He faithfully proclaimed the truth wherever he went, calling men to repentance. And he faithfully endured prison and even death because of his faithfulness. He suffered great injustice. But he did so with, with patience and he never, he never compromised. No, he called even his rulers to, to repentance. This is not right what you are doing. You need to repent. And he suffered. We have no record of him complaining of his suffering and he endured and yet he spoke the truth. When you suffer injustice in this world, do so patiently, but also don't be afraid to call even your persecutors or your wrongdoers to to faith and repentance in Christ. And don't be afraid to, to call people to faith and repentance because of the threat of suffering. This is the example the prophets gave us that we must follow. 
So we can look back at this scenario in, in James in, in chapter 5, the first six verses, and we can say that, that, that these men need to suffer patiently as their wages have been withheld from them because God will work this out. But at the same time, they should call those men to repentance and faith for what they are doing. They should let, they should let them know this is wrong. This, this is stealing. You will, you will stand before the Lord for this injustice and you better turn to Christ and, and turn away from your sins because you will stand before Him and be judged based upon His righteous law. We must follow the prophets in this. And fifthly, we need to think biblically. Verse 11, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. This sounds a lot like what James said in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life. James says those who endure are blessed. That's, that's biblical thinking. That's what the Scripture teaches. And, and if we don't think biblically about blessedness, we will have a difficult time Enduring suffering. What does our world think about blessedness? Our world has a very different definition of what it means to be blessed than Scripture does. And I think Christians often view blessedness from a worldly perspective instead of a biblical perspective. Who does our world count to be blessed? Those who have comfort and safety. Those who are popular and everyone likes. Those who have health and wealth and prosperity. Yet James says, we count them blessed who endure. Dear friends, check your thinking right now. Who do you look at and say, that person is blessed? Is it the person who endures? Or is it the person who has more things? John the Baptist was a failure according to our world standards. He lived life in the wilderness, went to the city, and went to prison. Lost his head in prison. The world sees that and says, what a failure! Well, what, a, what a miserable life. But James says he was blessed because he endured. Dear friends, unless we understand what, what truly makes a man blessed, we will not endure suffering patiently. We won't. If we think that having a, a life of ease and comfort is what makes a man blessed, then in the face of persecution or suffering injustice, we will grow discontent because we don't have ease and comfort. We will also be tempted to compromise in order to obtain ease because we believe that's what really makes us blessed. If I believe that I can't be blessed unless I have peace and comfort, then I'm going to do whatever it takes to obtain peace and comfort in this world you believe that wealth is what makes a person blessed, 
What happens if your wealth is taken from you unjustly? It happens every day. Just like the, the wages withheld from the laborers in our text. You, you believe you are not blessed, and therefore you will not endure suffering patiently. Instead of being patient, you, you will be tempted to do whatever it takes to, to get wealth because you believe that's what really makes you blessed. And you want to be blessed. If you believe that blessing comes with, with popularity, you're not going to hold to doctrine that, that makes you unpopular, are you? No. If you believe that, 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 that blessing comes from being affirmed by this world, what are you going to do? You're going to embrace this world. If we believe that, that the church is blessed by, by being accepted by society, what are we going to do? We're going to change everything within here to be more accepted by our society. Dear friends, if you do not have a biblical understanding of blessedness, what are you going to do when, when people start persecuting you and pressing your faith, perhaps even threatening your life? What are you going to do? You're going to give up that faith. You're going to compromise. Because you don't want them taking away from you the things that you believe makes you blessed. When we understand that true blessedness comes to those who endure, then we can suffer anything. People can take away from us everything we have and do to, to us the most evil and vile things, and we can take it because we don't find blessedness in those things, but rather in remaining faithful to God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? No one can touch the man who is blessed is endure, who is the one who endures. Take what you want from me. It doesn't stop me from enduring. And that's where true blessedness lies. So number six, we must trust that God's plan is good. James says, you have heard of the perseverance of Job. Talk about a man who had his stuff taken from him. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. James encourages his readers to consider the life of Job. Job suffered many things. Suffering things that, that most of us, I would probably say all of us, can't even imagine. I don't know of anyone living today who suffered anything as bad as Job did. We read that in all Job suffered, he did not sin. He persevered. He endured. James says, look at the suffering of that man and consider the end intended by the Lord. Don't look at what happened in his life. Look at the end intended by the Lord. He says, consider God's purpose for allowing Job to suffer the way he did. Listen, was God's purposes evil? Was it bad for Job? MacArthur points out that there, there was at least four important divine purposes for Job's suffering. 
Number one, to test his faith and, and prove it genuine. Two, to, to thwart Satan's attempt to destroy that faith. Three, to strengthen Job's faith and enable him to see God more clearly. And fourth, to increase Job's blessedness. That's why he suffered. All of those purposes were good. God's plan for Job was good. His intentions were good. And in the end, Job was richly blessed. So the end intended by the Lord in Job's suffering was blessedness, which James says shows that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And someone may say, well, how is this the case? How is the Lord compassionate and merciful? And, and how was His intentions good when, when Job suffered so much? Because blessedness is not defined by material things. So, so even though the Lord allowed those things to be removed, His compassion and His mercy was shown in allowing Job to persevere through all his suffering without sin. Because blessed are those who endure. And so Job was blessed. <clears throat> because by the grace of God, he endured. Difference, who, up, who upheld Job during that time? Was it his own strength? You know better than that. God was compassionate and merciful. And the Lord restored to him what was lost. But, but here's the thing. Even if God did not restore physical things to Job, he was still blessed. <clears throat> Douglas Moo puts it this way, James does not mean that patience and suffering will always be re rewarded by material prosperity. Too many examples in both the Old Testament and New Testament prove this to be wrong. But James does seek to encourage our faithful, patient endurance of affliction by reminding us of the blessing that we receive for such faithfulness from our merciful and compassionate God. If you think that the only way Job was blessed was that by God provided him with another wife and more children, more cattle, more sheep, you don't understand the point. The fact that Job endured all of that instead of turning away from God and spitting in God's face, that was his blessedness. That's why he was blessed. God upheld him. He upheld his faith, allowed him to go through, through all of that suffering without sin. We are going to patiently endure wrongdoing. We must be convinced that God's plan for us is good. That He is compassionate. That He is merciful. MacArthur says the example of Job encourages those suffering trials to patiently endure. Realizing the Lord's purpose is to strengthen them, perfect them, and in the end, to richly bless them. In the words of the Apostle Paul, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Those who are called according to His purpose. We know that. Do you believe that, dear saints? Do you believe that, that all things work together for your good? 
And that the Lord is, is full of compassion and mercy. Even when your, your suffering seems unjust and even unbearable. Now the person who understands that the, that the plan of the Lord is good does not look at his brother and sister in Christ and say, why am I suffering more than them? In reality, if we're suffering more than our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be thanking God that the Lord is so dealing with us that, that He's using this suffering for His glory and for our good. We, we can suffer and say, the Lord must be doing something in my life because He's allowing me to go through this for, for my own good. The Lord loves us. So He doesn't always give us a life of ease comfort. You know what? It's for our good. Not our destruction. For our good. If you don't believe those things, you will not suffer well. You will not patiently endure. If you are not persuaded that God is allowing your suffering for your own good, you will see your suffering as evil to be avoided at all costs. But if you are convinced that even your suffering is being used for your good, like God did for Job, then you can endure it patiently knowing that God is using it to prune you, to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, to remove the dross from your life, to, to build you up in Christ. And if you are not persuaded that the God allowing you to suffer is a God full of compassion and mercy, instead of persevering in your suffering, you will despair thinking that God has abandoned me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't care that I'm suffering. In the midst of your suffering, patiently endure, knowing that God is full of compassion and mercy. Yes, He does love you, and He is compassionate towards you, and He is merciful to you, but He is using these things for your good. That's why He is allowing it. Dear friends, God's sovereignty is not some philosophical concept. There are practical applications and implications to this. If God is sovereign, then my suffering is not in vain. I, I say that I love Christ and I want to be more like Him. But then don't complain when God gives you suffering that is designed to make you more like Christ. In fact, it was Calvin, I think, who said, it is base ingratitude to know, to know that, that God is using your suffering for your own good and yet to complain against Him for it. You may never understand in your life how God used that situation. You may never understand it. You, God doesn't always say, look, I allowed this to happen and this is why. He doesn't always do that. We don't always know the answer to, to why this happened. But we can trust that it is for our good. That God's ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. 
We don't know all of God's plans. We don't know everything He's doing, but, but we need to trust Him that His plans are indeed good and that He is full of compassion and mercy. And when we understand this, we can suffer patiently because it's all in God's hands. Just like with Job, His intentions are good. In conclusion, let, let's consider these points one more time together in order to, to get the big picture. We must endure wrongdoing patiently if we are going to please God in it. We must endure suffering, injustice, persecution, whatever it may be, patiently if we are going to please God in it. And in order to endure suffering patiently, we must patiently anticipate the return of Christ, the final judgment where all injustice will be corrected. It is in God's hands. We don't need vengeance. Also, we must stand firm. We must stand strong, having a commitment to stand firm in the faith no, no matter how severe our suffering becomes. We must also be humble lest we complain against others thinking they deserve suffering more than we do. And we must also follow the example of the prophets, suffering patiently and speaking the truth no matter what the cost may be. And we must think biblically about blessedness, understanding that true blessedness comes to those who endure. And we must trust in God's plan. That God is full of mercy and compassion and He is using every single thing in our lives, even our greatest suffering for our good and for His glory. May this truth cause us to, to change the way that we respond to suffering, wrongdoing in our lives. And may we suffer patiently in a way that pleases God and that points others to Christ. Dear friends, this, this text is loaded with truth. The next time you, you suffer injustice, not if it happens, but when it happens, the next time it happens, you need to, to think about this text and, and say, God wants me to respond to this in a certain way. He wants me to behave a certain way. He doesn't want me to act rashly. He wants me to be patient as I endure this. We need to think about these things. That we respond in a righteous way that pleases God and that points others to our Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You once again that You have not left us to ourselves, but You have given us great wisdom. Father, there is so much suffering of wrongdoing and injustice in this world. We thank You that, that even those things are not outside of Your control, but that You use them for Your glory and that You use them for good even in our lives. Father, we thank You that You love us enough not to leave us to ourselves, but to, to even allow us to suffer, to become more like Christ. We thank You for these things. We ask that You would, be, that you would cause us to be faithful in our suffering. That we would respond righteously in a way that pleases You. 
in a way that, that points others to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.